This is how we overcome We're moving out Keep us up Reaching to the world Arms open Arms open Yeah This is how we practice well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, we are in the midst of a short Epiphany Tide series where we are talking about those things that kind of, that either we practice during Epiphany or the things that are we find in scripture during the readings between the time of Christmas and Epiphany. Last week, we talked about star words and how we can use those to influence our new year, help us draw closer to Christ by reflecting on those words. Uh, So where are we taking things today, Steve? Well, today we thought we'd put on our bravest faces and talk about a piece of that same story that often doesn't get addressed and how we deal Mm -hmm. with the fact that we don't talk about it or reenactment or come up with cool little memory devices for it. Um, Because while the stars in Star Wars, like, uh, we talked about last week are a great way of latching on to the detail of the star that the magi follow to find the christ child the story continues on in the gospel of matthew and it has a horrible twist uh toward the end of the story where after the magi um who at first think oh we're looking for a new king we'll go to the capital and meet herod the puppet king appointed by the romans and herod gets jealous at the notion of a new king and when the magi don't come back to tell him that they met the christ child after all they go home by another way as matthew said um King Herod goes on a killing rampage to kill all the children in Bethlehem two years or younger, based according to the time he had heard from uh, the Magi, presumably meaning that their journey had been so long that the you know the Christ child might have been two years old by the time they get there. Um, and so there's this haunting line where Matthew echoes the earlier prophet Jeremiah and says, and you know, a lament or wailing was heard in Ramah, Rachel refusing to be consoled for her children, for they are no more. Um, and there's this sort of haunting echo of the death of all the uh, Hebrew babies back in Exodus uh, when Pharaoh starts killing children because he's afraid mm-hmm. of uh, the immigrants getting too powerful. Um, but like there's this very difficult haunting side that forces now Jesus, Mary and Joseph to flee to Egypt in another sort of echo of ancient Israel's story. But they become refugees in Egypt for a while until Herod is gone. And that's a part of the story that let's just be honest, like is harder to talk about. Uh, and less frequent uh, for us to have opportunities to talk about it. And certainly we lack good tactile ways of talking about the story. As great as the stars were or the nativity scenes are for other parts of the story, this is a harder one to deal with. And so we thought this is a good forum for us to have some conversation, both how do you deal with stories like this and what do we what what does it mean what choices we make in our corporate worship life what stories we do emphasize with cool little visuals or tactile take home things and what stories we sort of soft pedal because we don't talk about them or skip them how do you deal with this in some ways so the way i learned to preach is uh i i learned the four page model and i don't know if they were using this when you were in seminary steve Mm -hmm. since we went to the same seminary Mm -hmm. um the four page model is you look for trouble in the text and then it has a corresponding trouble in the world and then you find a grace in a text which should hopefully answer your trouble in the text like it shouldn't be just a completely unrelated (laughs) thing and then grace in the world which again is echoes like it should all be it should all be connected mm-hmm. and, and for me this is one of those spots which asks the like 
almost answers the question of why was it necessary for Jesus to be born in the world? Mm -hmm. Like there is terrible things that happen here, terrible things that we do to each other. And this is one of those, like, you can look at the situation and go, yep, that was evil. There Mm -hmm. is no doubt about it. That was evil. This was a terrible thing that happened and we can't just forget about it. It's going to make us uncomfortable, but like, this is one of the reasons why Jesus is born into the world yeah. is because there is evil here. Yeah. I'm so appreciative of the way you frame that. Cause I think what you've done is to avoid um, treating the end of the story. Like the ha- the good news of the grace in the story is, Oh, but Jesus escaped. So it's a happy ending. No, the point of the story is not Jesus was narrowly avoided dying. Uh, and isn't that good for him, but that God has entered into a world where we kill each other this way, that God has entered into a world where the Herods of time, uh, time after time and empire after empire, rather than lose their grip on power, will kill whoever they feel is is expedient to get rid of in the name of the mm-hmm. national interest. Um, and that in a sense, Matthew, who knows where his story is going and knows that Jesus eventually will die on a cross at the hands of another Herod and Pilate, um, in a sense, Matthew's answer about what this story means is ultimately fulfilled in the cross of Jesus. So it's it's not, who good, Jesus got away, but more, Jesus will have his own day where he lays down his life at the hands of the powerful, and his way of redeeming the world is not to become a, a Herod himself and zap his enemies or kill them, but to die at their hands. Um that's a, a much more nuanced, complicated sort of an answer, and it takes the whole gospel to get there. But I think that you're right on the money there about the the, the grace in the text has to be related to an, an answer of the trouble in the text. And we can't treat just, oh, Jesus got away. That must be the grace. In the... No, that's not really the end of the story either, because this isn't the, it's not the end of the, the gospel of Jesus either. Uh, it, it's I always feel really bad that this is one of those texts which i think is very important but makes us very uncomfortable i don't think anybody enjoys preaching on this text um but it's often one of those sundays that it gets skipped and and Mm -hmm. and that is in part because if you are if your church follows the lectionary this is the reading for the sunday after christmas which is the most common time not even every year but once every three years yeah yeah. So like this is the Sunday that often like pastors take off to rest after the the big pageantry that was Christmas Eve. Um, and it, but even if your pastor doesn't take off for vacation, it's often the Sunday that is lessons and carols where it's just readings and lots and lots of hymns. Like so you don't get a sermon. And um, if we're being honest congregation members too often if there's a sunday that you'll miss it's because you're traveling the week after christmas and so you know it's one of those times where nobody is intentionally staying away like oh i hate i hate being in church on this sunday but there's a lot of reasons we might find ourselves elsewhere on this sunday and therefore not having to wrestle with this story yeah but i mean so it's one of those things i feel bad that this is rarely preached on Mm -hmm. but at the same time I'm not sure if a sermon is the best place to wrestle with it Hmm. because a sermon is for good or for ill is often like a lecture. It's one way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, 
you know, it's not a conversation, which is two ways, which is like more than one person getting to converse. And, and, but even then, like, because of where this comes in for the lectionary, if you're a lectionary congregation, Mm -hmm. this time, Christmas tide, early epiphany tide is not really a good time for to try to get people together to have an adult forum or a conversation or Bible study or whatever. Like it's a busy time of year. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's lots of things competing for our attention. We also, you know, church folks are sometimes fighting the battle of we're still celebrating the 12 days of Christmas by that Sunday. So let's not make it a downer. Let's still sing joy to the world or whatever. And again, like it's the juxtaposition is so difficult. I, I guess for me, this and maybe you're pointing to like okay we need to find other venues or other moments to to address this story and maybe it's middle of the summer when nobody's thinking christmas anyway let's wrestle and maybe or maybe it's a series that as a pastor or a bible study leader you might say we're going to spend the next two months looking at difficult stories in the bible and wrestling through them so people know in advance and nobody feels ambushed by um Mm -hmm. and there's also no no sense of stacking the deck of like you know in advance this is going to be serious or we're going to look at difficult stories if that's not for you (laughs) come to a different series that might be a way to deal with it I think that's a great idea because there's so many difficult stories in the Bible that we tend to gloss over the bad parts, like mm-hmm. Noah's Ark. Right. Everyone <laughs> died. <laughs> like, right. That's right. a horrible story. But good news at the end, God invents the rainbow and promises to <laughs> never destroy everybody again with a flood. Right. Whole, like there's lots of other possibilities, but never again with a flood. Like, let's wrestle with that let's right. wrestle with the weird awful story like there's so many stories yeah yeah mm-hmm. and in a time when i know sometimes it feels like church is competing more and more in a losing battle for people's attention and limited time it can feel like as leaders of churches well if we focus on all the scary difficult r-rated stories people won't come back let's only do the pastel colored easy happy clappy sort of stories i get that impulse and i get that it can feel like we're losing a battle against, you know, weekend soccer and football and basketball. So make it peppy or make it engaging or else. But there needs to be space for wrestling with the difficult stories because our lives include terrible, awful things. And if we don't have these stories as places to wrestle with God and bring our laments to God, we're going to end up having no ability to cope when terrible things happen, either in our lives or in the world and in the news. I guess I kind of feel like this is one of the reasons I'm so, so grateful that we've ended up with different tellings of the birth of Jesus, that um, as much as sometimes we want to um, mash them all into one with magi and angels and shepherds all in one little nativity mm-hmm. scene, like Luke's story with the shepherds and angels is lovely, and that's its own story. And Matthew, without denying that, is just not telling that story. He picks up with the magi arriving maybe two years later, um, and his story involves that dark thread of Herod and his violence against all the babies in Bethlehem. Um, that we need that story, even if it's not the one we make little figurines of and put up in our churches. But we need both of those stories and have to be able to hear them side by side in tension with each other, not necessarily mashing them together. Because I think if we mash them together, we'd be so tempted to just look for a, well, isn't there, there's a lovely angel song, let's just focus on that. And we'd still skip over the difficult details. We, we need sometimes stories that are unflinchingly difficult. I guess it, it to me, it's interesting too, how from time to time, all the gospel writers will do this, but Matthew comes to mind as one who um, 
almost as willing to rub salt in the wound, especially. But like, there will be times where there's other stories where something pleasant is happening, and Matthew like gives like there's there's other stories with Herod where later it's a later Herod, but uh, you know the story of uh, John the Baptist getting beheaded and mm -hmm. bringing the head of John the Baptist on the platter. Like that whole thing is treated like a flashback that could have been skipped. You know, Jesus you know uh, is getting the notice of Herod, and Herod just says to himself, "Boy, this reminds me of John the Baptist." And then Matthew stops the action and goes, "Oh, by the way, let me tell you." the story about what happened to john and how he got beheaded this would have been the moment that we could have skipped that story for the sake of clarity but matthew almost like no we need to hear this is what the powerful do this is what the empires do this is what the herods and pharaohs and nebuchadnezzars of history keep doing and in the face of that what's god's response to that and i think ultimately all the gospel writers would say jesus is god's response to that and part of that response is that god doesn't fight evil with evil that god doesn't say well i'll fight herod by being an even more of a monstrous tyrant and i'll just kill the herods you know with more firepower no god breaks that cycle and that god's way of dealing with the evil of humanity and the evil of us at our worst is not to give in to play by those same rules there's this line uh of nietzsche's um, that sticks in my head when I hear this story where he talks about um, if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes into you. And if you fight with monsters, be careful that you do not become a monster yourself. Um, and I guess I think like at the heart of what the, the gospel, capital G gospel has to say about the Herods of history is that ultimately Jesus says, I refuse to become a monstrosity in the name of fighting monsters. And I refuse to justify uh doing evil because I'm fighting the people who I'm I'm fighting against, I've labeled as evil uh, as well. Because um, otherwise what you end up with is one tyrant being replaced by a worse tyrant, different letterhead, but the same MO of I'll wipe out whoever I think is inconvenient or a threat to my rule. Um, Danny, that's the other piece I guess that's unspoken when Matthew tells his story too about Herod is that you know, at the, the time of Herod, he's the puppet of the Romans, who's just the latest empire on the scene. And before him, it was the Greeks. And before that, it was the Persians. And before that, it was the Babylonians. Um, that there's easily 500 years of one empire after another, each one saying, we're going to do it totally differently. We're not going to be like those bad mm -hmm. people before. And they are. They just replace one kind of cruelty and abomination with another. And that part of what makes Jesus so different is um, that he refuses to play those games. He refuses to do what Herod found expedient. So let, let me ask you, having the three of us having conferred here, yep, this is an important story. No preaching moment is difficult to come by. You know, how, how do you address uh, a story like this or the implications of it um, absent just a Bible study series, which, again, could be easily sort of skirting it and only a handful of people ever have to wrestle with? How, how do we, if part of our calling is to make people wrestle with difficult stories because they're part of our our scripture and and, and we need it how do what what is it what does this mean for your ministry life so my confession is is i have never actually made a congregation wrestle with this text because again i'm a lectionary preacher this reading always falls on the sunday i take off mm -hmm. um so i have never addressed this particular story mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a non-lectionary preacher i also have never <laughs> addressed this um except for when i do lessons and carols and it's the last lesson and i always just tell my people hey this is the dark side of the christmas story mm -hmm. you know but then we go into singing all of our favorite carols and like right. you know it's kind of right. like a it's one last reading before we get to the fun part 
the yeah. even more fun part of us and the carols yeah um i i do love that you do that erica because again like since i always take the sunday off my congregations have always done a lessons and carols for that sunday so i've never actually attended the lessons and carols service Mm-hmm. And at least, especially here, um, where I'm serving now, I have a music director and this is his service. Mm-hmm. Like he puts it together. So like, I don't even really look at the service. So I have no idea what the readings are to know whether or not that this is one of the ser- readings included. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I will say my lessons and carols only happen every other year because in my tradition, we have what's called a Wesleyan covenant service, which I do then mm-hmm. the other years. Um, unless Christmas and New Year's fall on a Sunday like they did last year, and then we do both. Um, but yeah, I've always, I've attended Lessons and Carols. My pastor always did them growing up, so it's just kind of become my tradition. Mm-hmm. But I will say during during Advent, I pulled out an, a devotion that um, one of my professors did in seminary um, for a choir practice we were part of. And um, I think if I would ever to preach on this passage, I might pull this devotion out again. Um, but he gave it this Saturday, a Saturday in 2012, the day after the Sandy Hook shooting mm. about wanting, and he starts off by saying, I want to resign from the human race after reading the headlines mm. as of late. Cause Sandy Hook had just happened. Mm-hmm. Aleppo and Syria and the civil war going on there had been in the news for months. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was a, it was a bad year. It was a bad time a bad year and without going through the whole thing he basically says i'm so grateful that jesus did not resign himself to not become part of the human race Mm -hmm. and while his coming is what caused the deaths of these babies you know it's as you said earlier steve that i mean that's part of the gospel that's that's the good news that comes out of this is that there there is hope yeah yeah. in the midst of the chaos I, I it's hard to see the hope you know and there's that one p- famous painting now um of this scene i don't, right. I don't know the name of it but uh, you can google it it's a woman cowering in yeah. a corner holding her baby you know and it's it's that passage from jeremiah you know a voice cries out um and that just that painting just pierces me anytime i see it yeah 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 um but was, we can was, we can deal with somebody, it because of Jesus. I was reading somebody's reflection on that painting earlier this Christmas season, and it was something I had never thought of. Um, this is one of those moments I wish that our podcast had like a place for visuals to, for us to put this up right. and people to see. But so like in the way that it's depicted, there's that woman holding her child in the foreground and in the background, you can see like, sh- you know, soldiers or people running in the distance. Mm-hmm. You can tell she's hiding out, but she's looking right at you the person looking at the painting right and it forces you to be like what will i do when someone is looking at me for help and in this situation you know like that will i cast myself as mm-hmm. i'm an innocent bystander i can't be bothered to deal with this i'm just looking at a piece of artwork or can i see this as no she's looking at me why am i just standing idly by looking at this watching it happen and it sort of forces me to like reconsider how we even consume the news that like you know i even think about like my morning routine this morning i'm making coffee and unloading the dishwasher and hearing on the news the latest news in the war between uh, israel and palestine and thinking 
part of me doesn't want to just turn off the news. That feels irresponsible. But part of me has also made myself so comfortable with, yep, horrible things are happening elsewhere. Time to put the coffee cups away, do, 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 um, where I become mm-hmm. numb to it. Um, and I guess I think part of the gift of having stories like this in our Gospels is that Matthew won't let us get comfortable with it. Like, if we get too inoculated by it, we're we're doing something wrong. And they these stories should jab us and make us uncomfortable. And I, I guess I also think, too, that I'm grateful that Matthew doesn't too easily smooth over to say, but it was okay, because in the end, Jesus goes to the cross and he rises from the dead, the end. But he leaves that rawness of, like, this is what happens in this world. And even if later theologizing might say, and God chooses to enter into this kind of a world, Matthew doesn't do that heavy lifting force. He sort of makes us go like, this is the world we live in. This is what Herods do. That is not okay. Um, mm-hmm. And also, what are you going to do about it? I mean, the, we're forced to, to face it like the, the woman staring at us in the painting. I was saying to both of you before we started recording that in the back of my mind um, these days, I've been re-listening to um, Elie Wiesel's uh, memoir, novel recollection of going through Auschwitz and the the Holocaust himself as a teenager uh, during World War II called Night. And um, there's a there's a scene where he talks about uh, having lived through you know being in Auschwitz and um, another young prisoner, uh, you know, a kid who has, I don't know, taken something and he's being hanged by the SS and that they all have to watch the hangings and that he has to endure the whole camp watching this thing happen. And the way he narrates it, he says, somebody from the crowd back behind him like just blurts out, where is the God of mercy in all this? Um, and Wiesel says, there's a voice inside me that wanted to say back to him, God is on the gallows. I mean, the, and like he means that from that sense of like this is this is what broke his faith that like to live through this was like I can't believe in a good God anymore because this happened and nobody stopped it. And if we call God mighty and powerful, where the hell are you, God? You know, um, and th- there's something very very powerful and honest about that reckoning he does and the loss of the yeah. faith that he had had. But I guess I also think um, ultimately part of the what the the Christian faith tell says is. it's exactly right to say god is there on the gallows that like literally that is at the heart of what the the cross is about the god who bears that the worst that we can do um and that instead of uh i'll rescue you so the bad stuff never happens that eventually the christian story says we're convinced that god endures that the worst that we can do at the hands of the powerful whether they're nazis in the 20th Mm -hmm. century or herods in the first century or the violent uh would-be herods of the 21st century that we keep crucifying, we keep hanging, we keep exterminating, um, and that God bears that. And I don't think God is pleased. Right, right, like, right. right. As as violence unfolds in our world, whether you know that violence was in the past or in the present or even in the future, uh, you know that's that that isn't what God intends. It's not what God hopes for i think it's something Mm -hmm. that deeply grieves god which again is why god was made flesh and lived among us because god wants to save the world not condemn the world not Mm -hmm. let the world suffer but to end suffering to end Mm -hmm. sin and death and pain and i think related to that too is Again, I think this may be unique to the Christian perspective because not everybody who believes in a God is willing to make this move. But I think 
part of what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus say is that God's way of understanding what it means to save is not that I get to bully creation around and force them to do what I want, and we'll call that salvation. I mean, plenty of empires have said, look, we're conquering the world. That's us saving you. We're saving you from the disorder and chaos you would have had otherwise, right? I mean, Rome conquered people and called it the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and they were convinced they were bringing peace mm -hmm. and order and salvation to the world at the point of their sword. Um, for that matter, I'm sure Herod is convinced that getting rid of any would-be usurpers is in the national interest because it will protect stability and order and prevent something, you know, a crackdown from the empire or something. I don't think he thinks he's a bad guy. I think he thinks he's bringing salvation. Um, the And I think that's part of the scandal is that ultimately Christianity has to say, God has dealt with evil in a, in a particular way. And it is not, I'll fight evil with more evil and I'll just blow up the people who I don't agree with, but I will bear it and endure it on a cross, on a gallows, you know, in the in the crematorium, in, in those those the godforsaken places, um, and that that's a unique, I think, unique to the 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 Christian way of dealing with these questions. None of this is easy, and uh, no. here we are coming to the end of our conversation here today. And please, for folks listening, don't don't hear this as well. We solved this one once and for all. We'll never have to talk about this again. If anything, this is a reminder to each of us when we find ourselves walking through the scriptures and you come across one of those stories that that makes your knees buckle and makes you squirm. Don't run away from it. But maybe together for us to be looking for is how do we address those stories and let the laments come forth rather than thinking we can only sing the happy clappy songs. Yeah. Next week, we're headed into new adventures. Um, we hope you'll join us next time here on Crazy Faithful. See ya. Bye.